The following is the audio version of a video released at peakprosperity.com. Visit peakprosperity.com to watch the video and to find other insightful content such as articles, discussion forums, and exclusive subscriber-only content. It's one thing to see people bend the knee to the establishment, right? It's another thing to be a black man and bend the knee to an establishment that admittedly never really had your interest at heart. And, and, and whether that be conservative or liberal, really never had your best interest at, at heart. Welcome everyone to this Peak Prosperity Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Chris Martinson. Today's guest is Royce White, an extraordinarily gifted athlete who played one year of college basketball before being drafted in the first round by the Houston Rockets. After an NCAA tournament game against Kentucky, legendary Kentucky coach John Calipari said, Royce is Charles Barkley. His enormous frame, explosive athleticism all combined to make him a really dominant player. But his defining characteristic on the court was his focus on his teammates. Way to do it together, baby. Cyclones on three. One, two, three. Cyclones. Always making the play he felt was best for the team, not his own personal statistics. The thing he loves most about the game, he has said, is teamwork. Teamwork, he said, is a microcosm of what we need more of in this world. I think that's a metaphor for lots of things we're going to talk about today. Royce has the mind of a seeker. He's famous in school for having stayed after class to ask more questions. He's got a really broad and incisive view of the world. And while we yeah, we'll discuss his time in the NBA, his current training for the mixed martial arts and all of that, I brought him on this program to discuss bigger issues today. Mental health, the Federal Reserve, integrity, cancel culture, censorship, the future. Now, in these times, the most valuable people to me are those with open, curious minds. I've been eagerly awaiting this podcast arrival, and now it begins. Royce White, welcome to the program. Thank you, Chris. Let's start here. Give people some background. How old were you when you were drafted? Um, I had just turned 21 years old um, in April of that year. So June that the draft was around mid June, which it usually is. Um, yeah, I just turned 21 years old. And so, uh, now, now you're, I think you just turned 30. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. So what would you, if you could rewind, what would you, what would you tell your 21 year old self? I mean, that must've been, I can't even imagine. I have no frame of reference for just what a heady, uh, just extraordinary time that must've been. And you were so young. What would you say? Well, I think at 21 years old, I was only, you know, three, four years from having been diagnosed with generalized anxiety disorder. So my my view of the world was changing drastically. And I think it's also important when you talk about age to acknowledge, you know, what, what science has told us about the, the development of the brain just on a fundamental level. Um, at 16, you think you have things figured out. At 16, I had a pretty good grasp on things relative, I, I would say. Um, I, I, I tried to find truth in the world as I still do today, but we don't, we don't develop until we're 25. And, and I, see the, I see the logic in that. I see the truth in that um, just from going through my own progression uh, you know, as, as a young man. So at 21 years old, I was caught in a strange place where I was on a very big public stage. I had been diagnosed with uh, a health condition that was very stigmatized, that was very taboo, which was a part of a bigger social discussion that had been willfully willfully neglected, not only by 
um, people, but by the corporatocracy, by the establishment. Um, at that time, being 21 years old and, and kind of naive in, in many ways, I thought that this neglect or that this this you know willful ignorance was something that was uh, by way of a lack of information. I hadn't yet considered that there was a duplicity or a maliciousness or an explo an exploitation component that was heavy in the the willful negligence around the mental health topic. So as I was going through my mental health advocacy at 21 years old, having just been drafted, having been diagnosed with anxiety, trying to push the idea that mental health was an issue that we needed to um, be proactive around and, and build better understandings, attitudes, so that we weren't falsely uh, interacting with this issue and the people who deal with those struggles. I was under the impression that I could bring some information or bridge a gap between the medical world and this this business echelon of people who run the NBA or the sports, uh, the pro sports, uh, you know, corporate pool um, that would change their idea. And in a very short time, as I went through that, I realized that these people knew what it was that I knew. <laughs> I was I was arrogant and thinking that I had I had some information that they didn't have. Mm -hmm. And that that helped change, change and broaden my entire view towards our modern society. And I'm thankful for that. So at 30, um, it, I'd be hard pressed not to tell my 21 year old self to go through it the way that I went through it. Um, if I could say anything the way that I am personally, I, I, I would have told my 21 year old self double down, go louder, louder, go harder, go faster, expedite. We have to expedite um, these, these curves of, of social discussions and topics. <laughs> Well, what sort of support were you getting at that time? I know you, you had to go go large and, and you, you made a huge impact. I think that's probably an indelible impact you've made on the NBA is, is to broaden that discussion of mental health. But but even still, through all of that, I mean, I have this sense that in our culture, uh, we do a very poor job of managing mental health and, and dealing with it and talking about it. And it just sort of gets hidden away for people to, to struggle with on their own and it gets stigmatized, all of that. So who did you have that was supporting you through that period? Must have been tough. Yeah, it was tough. I mean, you know, here's here's kind of, and I, I got to give you this context because I think the context of my story around mental health in the NBA really helps to paint a clear picture of a bigger paradox that we face, right? And, and I just got done writing a piece to Simone Biles. Hopefully it'll be published this week. And in it, I say that my intuition at 21 was that there was a great paradox between health and business. And that in retrospect, you know, uh, sometimes our intuitions speak to things that we cannot yet articulate. And at that time, I did think there was a paradox and a conflict of interest between business and health. Um, I was reasonably placing my stake and my flag along mental health because I dealt with anxiety. But now it seems that things like gain of function might've been where my real intuition was leaning towards, right? But we'll, we'll get into that later. Um, point being is that at, at that time, when I came into the NBA, mental health was a topic that wasn't discussed at all. It wasn't just in sports. It just wasn't discussed in the mainstream. It was still taboo. Uh, it was still something that was talked about in hushed tones. It was still an issue that only came up when a public figure had done something uncouth or untoward and, 
and we needed to justify why they had done it. We needed to justify why they were now seeking treatment, why they were going to go off of the map uh, for for a little bit. Um, and, and we know what who those people are. We don't have to say their names. It's big A-list celebrities, you know, a DWI or some type of uh, spousal issue or whatever the case may be, money issues, maybe gambling, whatever. Um, and that was kind of the context and the frame of mental health. There was a complete disjunct between those people, that conversation and the real medical science that had progressed from the late 1970s on in the in the psychological uh, field, in the in the field of uh, health, in the medical field. And so I find myself drafted into the NBA where we have, you know, the best medical doctors in the world, you know, relative, you know, comparatively. I mean, we, we have the best medical resources that money can buy, right? Uh, as these teams try to give their self cutting edge and competition, but also just protect the health of, of their, of their assets, be it the players. And uh, I find myself in a league where I had come off of a draft where I was one of the main stories in the draft for being one of the only players to speak openly about having anxiety or mental conditions at all prior to being drafted. Um, I get drafted and I take one read through my collective bargaining agreement and there's not a single mention of mental health in the entire agreement. Now, I don't know what to do with that at 21 years old. I'm just kind of like, wow, is this, maybe there's another agreement somewhere. Maybe there's some documents that, that I'm not aware of. Maybe, you know, maybe, maybe I'm missing something. Hmm. And so what I found out was, um, through going to ask the question of, okay, so what are our policies on mental health? What are our attitudes towards mental health? What is the common thinking about mental health? Because I deal with this issue. So I need to know, you know, not out of being a smart aleck or being a diva or being a prima donna, I actually need to know how to navigate this environment with this issue that I've been recently diagnosed with. Again, 21 is, I was diagnosed at 16, 17. So it's four years in. Um, and, uh, that that's what started the discussions um, of of mental health policy of of you know what could be done what couldn't be done, and we faced a lot of strange conversations with the NBA around this around this issue. You know, from uh, salary cap infringements. You know, one of my big uh, anxiety, um, one of the things that that makes me anxious is flying. I don't like heights. Um, I'm doing, I can do it. I do great with it, but that became the main narrative is, is about me not liking to fly, uh, which is, you know, relatively common. I say a lot of people in, in, in America and around the world don't like to fly, whether they say it or not. Um, but, but that was something I was open about. And so that became the main driving narrative in our, in our, in, in the sports world about this topic when it was a much broader topic to begin with, but even along the lines of that, that sticking point, you would have people say, well, if he can't fly, he can't play. It's like, well, number one, the NBA is a regional league. Okay. So if you look at where the teams are positioned, it's pretty regional based in the Midwest. You got Minnesota, Milwaukee, Chicago, um, Indiana, uh, Cleveland, in, in the East coast corridor, you got Boston, uh, New York, New York, Jersey, Philly, uh, you know, DC, in the South, you got, uh, you know, New Orleans, Orlando, Miami, uh, um, Atlanta, uh, Charlotte, right? So people forget that the NBA is a regional-based league anyway. 
So it's not inconceivable that I could have drove to a bunch of games anyway. And we suggested that. But the lack of attention to detail from the common fan in the sports world uh, is such that their automatic default position was, well, if he can't fly, then there's no way he could play. And the mainstream media played on that. And what the mainstream media did was they helped cover for the NBA's lack of mental health policy. And in the policy, we face situations such as this. Okay, well, if I'm in Minnesota and I want to drive to Chicago for the next game, which is only six hours away, you guys get me an RV to drive to the game so that I'm able to sleep, whether it's overnight or whatever the case may be. Who pays for it? Well, it's clear who pays for it if it's view, if mental health is viewed as a health condition. Then it'd be covered by insurance, and the team's insurance would pick it up. Boom, boom, boom. Easy. Not easy. When we asked the NBA, the NBA said that if my, this is what we were told the NBA said, and this goes into a, a much deeper conversation that we'll have later about the scope of governance over institutions and where power and control lies and how they cover for each other when it's convenient. The NBA says, we were told the NBA says, if you guys get him an RV to go to a game or travel by RV in any circumstance, we will view that as a salary cap infringement and you will be penalized. You will be fined potentially millions of dollars and penalized with draft picks. Okay. So now at 21, I'm in a position where I have to say, damn, I just wanted to have a conversation about mental health and see if we could come to some common ground about policy. But through asking the right questions, I uncover that there is a real conflict of interest that's even much, that's much more, that's much deeper and, and pervasive than I had even previously thought. That not only is mental health being willfully neglected, but in the right circumstances, it's being weaponized. And so when you talk about support in a situation like that, Gonna, it's going to be few and far between. I mean, I'm, I'm 21 years old. I'm up against a juggernaut, gorilla tenant, uh, gorilla tenant um, you know, institution. And, uh, I mean, who, who wants to go against the NBA? So the NBA is, is revealed to your 21-year-old self. It's a machine. It's about money. It's about, uh, and to sort of peel that apart, what you said about, like, the journalists, like, just – framing it as, oh, Royce White doesn't like to fly. And they do that. And obviously journalists are capable of understanding nuance. Many of them went to college. They're pretty smart people. They can, they can easily understand that as a concept, but they don't. And they don't, you're saying, or suggesting because they have, they're really just covering for the NBA. And the NBA, of course, is a source of revenue. So it's just conflicts of interest in essence. So, but I like this as a microcosm, you know, this narrative structure you went up against. Its job is to protect the machine and anything that doesn't sort of fit in that, the narrative structure will will just destroy it, like just like antibodies on a on a foreign invader, right? Something like yeah. that. It was the it, look. It was the perfect. It was the perfect thing for me to go through at 21 years old. When I was young, people all used to ask that. You know, adults asked me what I want to do when I got older, uh, and I was one of those kids that would genuinely say I want to change the world. I had no idea how I could change the world. I had no idea what I meant by that. There, I had an intuition towards that. Okay. The perfect mechanism for me to be able to change the world was to go through exactly that and to be able to see the broad, the broad scope of how corruption in our modern society manifests itself and how it covers for itself and how it presents itself as being altruistic and genuine 
in the process. And th that, and, and it just, just to go from, from, you know, small to big real quick is it's, it's not, it's not the, the transgressions that, that are really where the moral decay lie. It's in contradiction. And, and right now it's, it's yes, we have a super polarized political situation across a litany of issues, but the real problem is not polarity. It's the commitment and, and love and craving for the status quo, mm. <laughs> the, the, the security and the protection that the status quo gives us. Right. And I saw people who would otherwise in any other situation, oh, mental health, we have to we have to find a safe space for these people with mental health issues to to be able to talk about their issues and still live a, 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 a fruitful, prosperous life where they can participate and be included. And those same people would turn around and go, well, if you can't fly, you can't play. It's like, oh, I see where the perils of this society are. They're in a lack. There's a there's a lack of coherence in our in our worldviews and our logic and the mental health issue was a great one to show me that um, at the, at the deepest of levels. I mean, mental health, I still think mental health is probably the greatest social issue we face because we're talking about the human condition. We're not talking about anxiety, depression, PTSD. Those are ailments. Those are illnesses. Those are downstream at the headwater. Mental health is another way to say the human condition where the mind, body, and soul converge into the perceivable existence. And so again, in that way, it's an, another issue that that helped show me a broad scope of things to say, man, if you guys are willing to convolute and contradict and 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 uh you know petty fog this issue, I, I could only imagine what the other ones are facing in, in the in the public square. <laughs> yeah. It's so I, I'm 28 years older than you. And I I where I started to break apart was um my country, our country, went and attacked Iraq on the basis of lies. There was all experience, you know, there were no weapons of mass destruction. We know that there was an office of special plans. There's a bunch of dudes who are mostly getting rich off of this war, concocting evidence, and nobody gets in trouble for that. The thing that broke me was watching all these people out of one side of their mouth say, tie a yellow ribbon, you have to support the troops, and it's this meaningless little veneer-grade gesture. And then on the other side, they're saying, I need these homeless people out of my out of my city. I don't like them, right? And a lot of them are vets. So this whole idea, that contradiction, which I, is even more than that, that's a kind way to put it, but we have people who, who espouse one moral view, but their actions aren't in alignment with that. That's a that's a level of hypocrisy that's, that's once you see, it's very hard to unsee, you know? And yeah. I thought we would get better at that. My experience is the last year, it's just been a get, gotten worse. <laughs> These are pretty crazy times on the old hypocrisy side of this, of the story. And there's so many places to go with that, but that's, that's fundamentally what you were experiencing, right? You know, people say this, but do that. And of course, actions are what matter in this life uh, more than words. When you well, get I, th I thought it was, I thought it was, I thought, it, and, and to your point and to, to your credit, I think you're, you're touching on something that's, that's that's very important to uh, to to highlight, right? Is it's not just a simple hypocrisy, mm -hmm. and and I always use this one to try and help people understand what I mean by that. When we talk about mental health in the workplace, for example, we see an issue where any logical, reasonable person could delineate how the attention to mental health would potentially and and most likely help the production of the workforce 
of a, a workforce, any given workforce, right? Just just from a just from a fundamental standpoint, if people are healthier, if their mind state is better, um, they can better approach a, an honest day's work, whatever that work may be. Uh, now, when you when you talk about professional sports and athletes, you're talking about people who are uh, highly uh, highly um, highly affected mentally by the pressure and the uniqueness of their of their work, right? So if we talk about NBA players, nine-month, 82-game season, sometimes you don't even know where you are. You're flying in, you're flying out. Guys are asleep. They don't even know what city they're in sometimes. Um, the, 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 the mental becomes key in how you're able to perform, which is what they say their business model is based on is player performance. And that is what their model is based on. It's slightly entertainment, and it's also alcohol, but we'll get to that a different time. Um, but but it is a lot. Uh, have, it does have to do with the player's ability to function mentally. So you can see a scenario where a mental health revolution or mental health um, focus from the establishment could help push the brand and the business to another level economically. Mm-hmm. Right. And we live in a society where there's a common trope that says it's all about money. Well, in this case, in this situation, you find an issue where it's actually not all about the money, where there is a path. That you could see the NBA getting more out of their players and making more money and they choose not to for whatever reason. And we could speculate on what those reasons are. We could we could try and parse out what those reasons could be. And, and part of it again is just the status quo and the comfortability with the status quo and the, and the discomfort with change, but it's not always all about the money. And, and the hypocrisy is that the NBA will tell you out in the, out in the open in situations like this, Hey, look, it's money. This is what drives us revenue, blah, 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 blah. And then you have a group of doctors come into a room and say, Hey, listen, you, you do realize that that studies have shown on average when people pay closer attention to their mental health, they become three to four times more productive. So this would actually help your players. You, you know, when you, you know, when your your fans are are asking the question on a Tuesday night, why their team is playing like they don't really care or why play people say that they like watching college basketball better because, the you know, the, the players seem like they play harder or, you know, things of that nature. You know, you know, when those are those things are happening. That's a mental health thing. <laughs> right. And and they just totally ignore it. They go, ah, well, we don't have to listen. It's like, yeah, well, to your point, the hypocrisy is is where we have to go look. Well, the, you're you're raising an actually what to me is a very puzzling sort of um disconnect in this story. So for example, uh, I watch people like Joe Rogan, uh, Brett Weinstein, even myself. These are people who are all out there um alternatively just giving people actual context and not giving them sugar-coated lies, right? And you see like Joe Rogan, he's just exploding, like his viewership numbers off the charts. And then you get CNN and they're out there peddling the same stale, sort of very partisan, belief-oriented, context-free lies, right? And their viewership is declining. And I would have thought somewhere self-interest would like take over because it is all about the money, right? I would expect sooner or later, CNN would go, maybe we should give people what they want you know, and they can't help themselves. They're still feeding people stale lies that, you know, is got a dwindling audience in this day and age. So I'm really mystified because I thought, I thought self-interest would eventually rescue them, but yeah. <laughs> something else is going on. What do you think's going on there? 
Well, look, I mean, the 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 liberal left woo woo has reached critical. <laughs> I mean, it's 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 absolutely disgusting. I tuned in the other day to uh, I don't know how I find myself tuning in. I'll just be skipping through the channels. I get oh, I was at a hotel. That's what it was. I was at a hotel. Or otherwise, I wouldn't even have been. I don't even really watch cable television. Um, but I was at a hotel. And I was just clicking through the channel, seeing what's on. And, and CNN is obviously one of the channels you can get in any hotel room. And uh, the conversation was about vaccines. And I watched Don Lemon go through about a 20, 20 minute um, segment where he just ripped on people who were questioning vaccines and, and not only questioning the vaccines, but questioning the legitimacy or the um, or the rightness of, of this vaccine mandate slash passport um wave uh, mm -hmm. or, or move from the government and and the political class and uh you know it, it it was one of the most disgusting things i think i've ever seen and and as a black man from from one black man to another black man right it's it's one thing it's one thing to see people bend the knee to the establishment right mm -hmm. It's another thing to be a black man and bend the knee to an establishment that admittedly never really had your interest at heart. Mm -hmm. and, and, and whether that be conservative or liberal, really never had your best interest at, at heart. So to see Don Lemon go on and, and just paint the other side of the coin of tyranny, you know, I, I, I was compelled to tweet about it. I said, and I had a tweet, I think I said something like, um, from watching that, from watching that whole segment, it was clear that what people are fighting against in this country isn't state tyranny, you know, in, in the wake of George Floyd and all of these, the, these conversations about police brutality, which we can talk about. And, 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 uh, I'm happy to help clarify some things on that as well. But, you know, in, in the wake of all of those conversations, it's not, it's not state tyranny that, that people are really fighting against. People want a government with people in charge that share their ideologies. It's not about freedom at all. It's not about, it's not about uh, civil liberties at all. And I think Don Lemon, Don Lemon is a perfect example. If you wanna see what that looks like, then I would invite you to go tune into CNN and, and, and watch him go through one of these clearly politically motivated segments where he completely divorces his otherwise, um, you know, pro civil liberties worldview. And he just says the hell with liberty, the hell with civil liberties, the hell with the right to choose. You know, I, I don't know how bodily autonomy only pertains to women's reproductive rights. I, I don't understand where I, I do understand it. It, it comes from a, 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 a population or a fabric of men who want to be able to sleep with women and they want to use pro women's rights as a as a as a Trojan horse to spark conversation or to find common ground to be able to sleep with women. And and that's and we can't act like our sexual proclivities or our sexual ambitions don't and wouldn't motivate our political ideology and stances because they certainly would. Um, uh, but but it's absolutely disgusting to see a black man laugh and mock other black people who question the need to provide papers in a country where we haven't even been out of slavery for an entire, for, uh, uh, you know, for 500 years. <laughs> so, yeah. or, or 
a couple hundred years. I mean, you know, it's just like it's it's puzzling. It's 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 actually a uh, pretty it's pretty disturbing to say the least. So, you know, CNN, you know, they're on the they're they've bitten the, the they've bitten the rotten apple. You know, they they are fully on board with, um, you know, the, the political ideology game. Um, I don't know why they see Fox News as their as their, you know, arch nemesis. You know, I, I think that you degrade yourself when you when you uh, equate yourself with with people uh, who you don't see as legitimate. And clearly they don't see Fox News as legitimate. I would disagree in many ways. I think they're not legitimate. And I do see what Fox News does as well. And I think they play the same game. Um but, you know, the fact that news has gone to that place in general, especially world news, when it's so important and so many people tune in. Well, now people are tuning in other places, but it used to be that so many people tuned in. Um, it, it really is a, a sign of decadence and, and misinformation at, at biblical proportions. And they have to think more about their role and in, in where humanity is headed. You know, um, yeah. people people are are not thinking strongly enough about what their role is in, in the trajectory of our entire species. Yeah. Yeah. I want to get to that. Cause that's, that's actually the core of what I, I talk about a lot, but I love how the fractal represents the, the whole, you get the small into the large. So I guess I'm not as disappointed that pharma companies are trying to push their, uh, you know, their medical experiment on everybody. That's kind of what they do. They're, they're another business that wants to make quarterly profits. I'm a little disappointed that they do that, but I understand it. But what I don't have any room in my heart for are the people who then buy that as as like a, a legit thing that's a moral issue for them. They framed it, right? These are people, Royce, who I knew who just two years ago were like, you can't trust pharma companies because the data is long, right? They fib, they lie, they've been fined billions and billions of dollars for manufacturing evidence, pushing out products, hiding bad side effects. That's who they are. I'm disappointed in people who say, oh, that, that must have been then. That's not happening now. It's kind of like, oh, those evil Nazis, you know, that can't happen now. It's like, oh, no, we're humans. Anything that's happened in the past can happen again. But only can you prevent it if you're vigilant. And I see these people just completely laying any armaments down and saying, just rolling over for what I consider to be some really morally reprehensible corporate actions um, that, again, I can understand it from a dollar standpoint only, not a moral standpoint, not a human standpoint, not a public health standpoint, not a future standpoint. But then for CNN to pick it up and, and go forward and say, there's no possible way you could have any sort of concern about this. Well, for the black person out there, I talked with somebody high up the NAACP, you know, Harvard educated, very well spoken, said, yeah, you got to understand the Tuskegee experiments didn't end until 1972, right? Yeah. I was 10 years old yeah. and my government was still experimenting on people yeah. in Tuskegee with syphilis, right? That's not that long ago. Right. So yeah. obviously, before you can say somebody's bad because they're not falling into this paradigm of of the latest medical experiment, you should say maybe we should atone for, understand and come to terms with the last set of medical experiments that were conducted. And if you can't just move past that, that's like a hairball. You can't just yeah. move past that stuff and leave it in there. You know, you got to you got to cough that thing out eventually, I think. Yeah, well, I mean, we live in a country in a in a modern society that's having the having a significant issue with the idea of atonement across existence and across our entire uh, existence. So I, I don't think that, that, that that's shocking. It, it is shocking though, to see how, how racially uh, 
you know, just the racial animus uh, around our conversations of politics and world issues and where the hypocrisy falls when it comes to race in these things. And, and like you said, I mean, just for black people alone, I think that, you know, we, we came from a, we came from a, a time not so long ago where I was on the front lines here in the epicenter in Minneapolis where George Floyd was murdered. Mm-hmm. And I listened to tens of thousands of people chant in crowds that I had organized that the entire system was guilty as hell. And for some strange reason, they don't see that system as including the medical industrial complex. Hmm. I don't, I don't, I don't understand that. I mean, yeah. you know, it, it, it's, it, it's all, it seems like a defense mechanism. Like, like we, we've tried to, like, there's so many different institutions. There's so many different working parts that we've tried to compartmentalize them as to save uh, or protect our own minds from being overrun with rightful anxiety and, and despair and uh, or angst and despair. And uh, as I understand that that defense mechanism, I, I understand that modality is to say, if I accept all of the if I accept all of the evil, for lack of a better word, that's at the door, there'd be no way for me to maintain a, a, a real level of sanity or mm-hmm. uh, a mind where I could walk through the world on a daily basis. Um, and that's where uh, Judeo-Christian values and, and, and uh, religious values, even, even Islamic values and it, values of faith, really, it, it really becomes clear that this is where the fight is because those belief systems, they, they, promote they tell us that we have to find courage that that faith is courage that courage and faith are intrinsic are you know inextricable and and that you know through faith and through courage is is the only way through the valley of darkness right and and so i feel those same angsts i mean there's days where i'm just like I, and I see it with clarity too. Is like the corruption is is right there. It's right there. I see it, and I know who the players are. Mm-hmm. Big pharma. They got a, the pharmaceutical companies. Got a bunch of people who sit on the board of the media institutions, or the media mm-hmm. companies, or CNN, Viacom, whatever it is. And there's a there's an unholy alliance there. Okay, what do I do? I can resign from the world, put my head in the sand, hope for the best. Or I can find the courage to fight back. And, and that's where you find, you know, the 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 ability to go out um, and and do things like call for the freedom of the Uyghurs or, you know, profess George Floyd's name still, even after he was tacitly given this conviction and, and the money and all of these other, you know, Black Lives Matter, um, you know, woo-woo, woo-woo reconciliations um, or, or talk about gain of function like I have over the last few weeks or the Federal Reserve or any other number of things, you know. So it, it's just, it's going to be hard because I think people like you, I, like you and I, like Brett, like Joe, uh, like an Edward Snowden, you know, like a Julian Assange, uh, like a Muammar Gaddafi, you know, and there's all kinds of people, you know, that we could point to that that were able to find that courage. It just doesn't happen on mass. And I think what we're really waiting on, and I think what's profound about the the 
the prophecy of Messiah is that whoever that person is will be able to to catalyze that type of awakening and courage in mass. And, and I think we're still waiting on that. But I told one of my good friends the other day, who is also uh, a man of faith, that the way I see it, not so sure that whatever promises God made early on when, when our books of faith were written still are intact. I, I don't I don't know if I believe that that man has honored the covenant to to uh, be able to believe that anything that God has promised that he has to follow through on or that that Jesus will come back at all. He may leave us to our own destruction. And, and each one of us has to really decide and live as though we will have we will have a a role in whether or not the covenant is fulfilled. <laughs> right. I think we all kind of act as though no matter what we do, God's going to come back and set things right. It's like, no, what we do will determine whether God comes back and sets things right. And that's how I just try to I try to live that way. So. Thank you for saying that, because it's uh, uh, it's a different framing. But I, I know that the most important thing I have is my integrity. That's the last thing on my last breath on my last day. That's the one thing that I either protected or. I gave it away. And I think what I'm seeing today is a lot of people, you know, ultimate freedom, people talk about wanting that freedom, but real freedom comes with real responsibility. It comes with a lot, right? Once you can see things and you know, like about the Uyghurs, once you know that, you can't in integrity turn away and say, well, I don't know that anymore. You can't do that. You can't unknow what you know. So the only question then is, what are you going to do with that information? How are you going to be? That's all you can control in this life is how are you going to be? The circumstances, I can't control those, but I can control my reaction to them and how I'm going to show up in the face of that. And I think a lot of people are looking for that. They, they want, yeah, it'd be great if the Savior rode down and um, and made things right. But I'm not sure. I think I, I have the same feeling you do. It's not going to happen unless we have the, the, the temple can't be shabby, right? You can't like have this like trashed environment and say, I, I hope, I hope hope daddy figure comes and cleans up my room for me. It doesn't work that way. Right. Um, it's how I see it. So I, I do think these are perilous times. The really important times it's actually calling people to greatness and it's causing other people to fall into a smallish fear. Right. But, but I do think that this is, these times actually are really exciting. Well, um, and you see, you make an important the point. Line. You make an important point. You say that you can't unknow things as no, you Chris can't unknow things because of your allegiance to integrity or your your feeling uh, of, of needing to uphold integrity, there are a lot of people who do feel that they can see things and just unknow them. It's, mm. it's a, this sort of relativistic moral and ethical integrity to begin with. And I think the Uyghurs is a prime example. Um, but 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 mental health, the mental health topic was a prime example for me. I mean, there were, look, <laughs> 10 years ago, it was not the start of the mental health topic when Royce White said mental health policy has to be a focus. That was the, the shattering of the, the smoke and mirrors, right? Mm-hmm. That, was, that was putting the establishment on the record for how they felt about an issue that affected every single living person on this planet now, previous, and future. Uh, um, but, but the mental health topic had been coming forward for a long time. Now, in retrospect, we can see where the pharmaceutical industry has actually undermined 
the 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 scientific validity of the mental health field, mm-hmm. right? And so we see kind of where this this metastasis, you know, this 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 metastasis of corruption and lies actually undermines all the all of the potential for us to rise up and kind of cl- and clean that room, uh, which is why when people like you or I take the time to point out the charlatans, it would it would it would be right and and good for the masses or those who happen to hear the message through the you know through the firewall let's say um who who don't look at that and go oh these guys are always complaining it's like no you have to identify the charlatans first because if you don't and you don't weed out what they've corrupted then the good that exists there can't actually move us forward and the mental health field has contributed something very profound to humanity. You know, we're dealing with consciousness. We're talking Freud. We're talking Jung. We're talking Maslow. We're talking people who really dug down to the, the depths of what it means to be human and, and looked at the conscious mind, which is still the greatest mystery, and tried to start to pick it apart. We'll still be doing it for a thousand years. But we don't have time for Eli and Lily to undermine that work through corporate and economic corruption. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it's too important, right? It's just it's just too important. So, you know, I think the mental health field shows us, the Uyghurs show us situations where, you know, there are people who are willing to look away. There are people who are completely fine seeing something, knowing something's wrong and, 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 and acting as though they, they never saw it. Um, and, that adds a level, you know, it, it, like that adds a significant layer to this fight, right? It's like, and I and I, I wrote a letter to LeBron. No, I'm sorry, I wrote a letter to LeBron, but more recently I wrote a letter to the United Nations. We're still trying to get that published, which is another sign that <laughs> that the mainstream establishment has become corrupt. Is you you can't even write anything meaningful anymore. Right. They have to edit it. They have to see it. They have to okay it. They have to make sure all the talking points are in alignment. But in this in this letter to the United Nations, I say that, you know, we, we've broken ourselves down into these these dichotomies of, you know, black, white, uh, Republican, Democrat, conservative, liberal, China, uh, America, man, woman, gay, straight, et cetera, et cetera. The only two classes are good versus evil. And the only true fight is man versus time. And when I say man, I mean human, human, humanity versus time. And those are the real parameters that those are the, the, the archetypical parameters, right, that, that we should be going by. Um, and in, in that sense, it's just like, yeah, we don't have time for the pharmaceutical, in, uh, you know, companies and CNNs to be in cahoots for some petty, you know, short term economic gain. It's like. You guys are petty. And what, what makes that worse is for Don Lemon to get on in front of the world and this camera and this, this million dollar production and have this attitude like, yeah, I'm so much smarter than you guys. It's like, buddy, you're a part of a racket that is that is one of the most pettiest undermining uh, uh, phenomenons in, in any existential consideration. And the fact that you don't see that is proof positive of how good and seductive they've become at using people like you to fool the rest of us. It's Mm -hmm. disgusting. So, and, and, you know, um, Johns Hopkins just came out with a study 
Was it Johns Hopkins? I might have got that wrong. But anyway, I just posted this at my site. They were studying who's the most vaccine hesitant. That's the word we have to use, right? Who's the most vaccine hesitant? Two groups, black people and PhDs. <laughs> <laughs> they got to start giving more black people PhDs, I think. <laughs> well, I'm just saying. So this whole idea of saying they're, they're all, you know, racist, Trump, toothless, wonder, ignorant, you know, uh, yeah. You know, communist, you know, uh, community harming people is just false. It's yeah. just not, it's not yeah, even good, remotely good right. Luck, good, good luck for him with that. I'll tell you, I'll tell you this. Anybody who has any good, any good, um, anybody who has a decent understanding and scope of history understands propaganda and they understand the mechanism of the scapegoat. And Donald Trump was the, it, Donald Trump is quite arguably the greatest scapegoat of the 21st century hmm. and they're still great. using them and they plan to keep using them. And, you know, there's, there's a real consideration that happened for Donald Trump personally to ask himself, does he allow himself to continue to be that scapegoat or does he bring himself full circle on a number of issues that would, that would unmask them? Um, or does he step back uh, altogether and kind of pull himself out of the fray so that they can no longer blame him? Now, I know they'll still try to, but it's going to be easier when he runs for president again uh, in, 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 in the next election. So, um, yeah, I just I'm just not caught up on the, the Trump is the, the evildoer of our time bandwagon. In fact, I'm kind of like of the mind that if you say something true, I want to hear it. I don't care if I agree with you on any other issues. Mm -hmm. If what you're talking about on this particular issue is true and holds fact and holds value then I want to hear it. And I think other people should want to hear it. And we shouldn't let your opinion on other issues affect our ability to acknowledge the truth in, in, in any other given one. And so when Trump, when Trump said DC politics were corrupt, he was right. Mm -hmm. When Trump said that elections are corrupt, he's right. Mm -hmm. uh, when Trump said that China is a big problem, he's right. He probably should have went much harder on China. I think uh, actually, um, and, and when Trump <laughs> said a number of things about this pandemic, he was right. Now, uh, he was informed by a very brilliant man, Steve Bannon, who, who I like a lot, who I consider a, a friend, uh, in this fight for truth. Um, obviously he had a lot of, a lot of good help and advisement from, from him. Uh, but, but he was right. And we should be able to acknowledge that. So, you know, would I agree with Trump completely on immigration? 60, 40, maybe, you know, I'm, I'm in a different place. Police brutality, we probably completely disagree. Uh, but, but, and, and I would, and, and I'm, and the thing about being a truther and somebody who is able to help us move the needle is to acknowledge that we may have a difference of opinion and be willing to come to the table and discuss those differences. I believe I could bring him closer to where I am. And just like you, just like you say, and I and I tell conservatives all the time that ever since I've said free the Uyghurs, my conservative support has gone through the roof, obviously. Um, but they still come back and they ask me about George Floyd, Black Lives Matter. That's one of their big, you know, uh, pieces of contention. They're like, oh, well, BLM is corrupt. No, BLM, the organization is corrupt. Mm -hmm. The idea that we have a history that we can't overlook about slavery and the ramifications and reverberations of that is what Black Lives Matter means in spirit. Uh, now, again, the corporation, I mean, the, the, the institution or the organization, corrupt as the day is long. 
in more ways than they even know. As a black person who lives in those communities, I could really tell you about how corrupt it is on a fundamental spiritual level. Um, but I tell them all the time, if you can't see the correlation between a military industrial complex with globalist ambitions that has spilled over into the streets of states and local cities, then I, I'm, I'm questioning your position about the globalist agenda you say you're fighting against. Because the strong arm of the globalist agenda is the military, <laughs> quite literally, right? Mm -hmm. So if you're anti-globalism, then you're anti-military industrial complex and you're anti-over-militarization of police in communities that not only try to intimidate Black people, but try and intimidate all people with a specific, unique history for the Blacks. Mm -hmm. so, I totally agreed. Totally agreed. Now, I want to talk about this time issue. My trainings, I'm a biologist uh, by training. My PhD is in a, in, a, in a biological science. And so I understand that I take humans, we're an organism. We have to, we have to follow the same natural laws as other organisms. We've, we've eaten into this big, tasty vat of sugar. It's called oil. We, 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 we're eating into it. We're going to sail to 9 billion people. We have no plan B for how we're going to, what are we going to do when our soils are ruined, the oceans are depleted, the soil, you know, and, and we're out of this, this oil that we use to grow everything. So I look at that. And, and then, of course, if you're a young child today, I don't even get me on the whole COVID face mask thing in school, but but you're told two things. One, you got to get good grades so that you can get a job so that, da, 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 da. oh, by the way, the world's burning up, right? And that, that you, I don't know how you hold both those things true without just going insane, right? So when I look at this and I think about, you make such a great point, like Eli Lilly is wasting our time. What that means to me is that we actually don't have time in this story. We don't have another hundred years to work this out. We have some really big things that we have to be serious about, that we have to take really um, much more aggressive approach on than we have so far, which is how are we going to inhabit this new future that's coming? And young people today increasingly are just, you know, they, I, I see 13 year olds write in and say they can't, they don't have any hope. They're, they're just, they don't, they can't make it make sense because their parents aren't talking to them about it. They're just trying to pretend that it's okay. <laughs> the hope that, you know, you can drive across the country now and get almost no bugs on your windshield because the insects have gone through an apocalypse, right? Bird populations are down 70%, right? The last white rhino just went on and on and on. But meanwhile, you open up the newspapers, all we, well, we need more economic growth. We need more growth. We need more of the very things that are killing us. And all of a sudden, if I'm 13, Royce, I could go, how are the, how is this not a death cult? This cult that says you have to believe 100% in these actions that arguably, inarguably are leading towards what looks to be a very bad outcome. And you have to have complete obedience to that, or we're going to cast you aside as, as not useful. I mean, I, that's just, to me, that's the biggest level crazy making in this is we're frittering our time away on things that are actually not that important, but we spend a lot of time on them. So I, I think... Well, I agree with that. You know, and I, I think the, the time for, <laughs> look, I, I think the, the Great Reset, mm -hmm. this, this entire Great Reset notion, okay, the, by the World Economic Forum and Klaus Schwab and the Party yeah. of Davos and, and that whole crew. Yeah, I know um, all about that. <laughs> you know, the, 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 idea, the idea that rebuilding our world post pandemic post COVID-19 would come through the fourth industrial revolution and not uh, a spiritual and, and philosophical renaissance 
is Beautiful. a canary in the coal mine for um, not only the agenda, but the trajectory of, of, of our society. And, you know, I expect people who are corrupt to be corrupt. What we have to hope for is that enough people of virtue and morals and ethics find the urgency to break away from the system, to break away from the, the normalcy and the, the, uh, the, 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 on, the onslaught of momentum of the everyday system. Right. That every day the system gains more momentum and it's just more and more pressure and and more and more uh, um, more of a cap on on each and every one of us. Enough of us have to find the courage to break away from that system in an urgent way and radically change the trajectory of this thing like that has to happen. And, and while I commend people like Joe, like Brett, Eric, you know, Jordan Peterson, um, Steve, even, you know, there's all these people who, who are trying to fight back against this system. I don't think we've gone far enough. Hmm. I don't think that we've, I don't think that we've, that we've made it urgent enough. I don't think that we've had a full walkout, uh, like, like our intuition and like our intellect informs us to, um, you know, and, and so that was kind of my intuition around my fight against the NBA with mental health policy. I said, OK, if. If the sports world is a. A, a representation of a global corporate community of a global corporate watering hole, then the stand that must be taken right here, right now, between myself as an individual node and this megalithic institution will play an integral role in the overall trajectory of humanity going forward. And so it, it made the choice very easy. It's like either we address mental health in an honest and genuine way, or I'm not playing mm-hmm. in the story. And I don't care about some, uh, some right wing beer drinker. Who's going to say, Oh, he's a prima donna. He's just wants things his way. And he's going to cry if he can't get it. I don't care about that. And I shouldn't care about that. You, mm-hmm. we, we have to trust in our own intuition and values as truth tellers, as truth seekers, much more than we have. And I think that the natural the, the natural um, personality or the natural uh, archetype of people who are genuine like that is to be a little bit more understanding, a, a little bit more passive, a little bit more reasonable. We have mm-hmm. to find some extremism in, in our in our in our approach you know god bless eric weinstein he's he's one of the most brilliant men men i've ever uh you know had the chance to interact with um and his brother brett as well and 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 god bless him and jordan and the whole and all and and the whole crew even steve Mm -hmm. we have to go we have to treat this you know you you hear eric talk about the twin nuclei problem and he 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 lays it out great (laughs) <laughs> he, 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 he paints the picture as well as you possibly can about how urgent the situation is, how dire the situation is. We have to treat it that way. We have to like we there's no scenario where we should believe that us informing the general public is going to catalyze them to treat yeah. it as though we're at the 12th hour. We have to treat it as though we're in the 12th hour 
and and go forward that way right now. Actually, it should have probably been 10 years ago, mm-hmm. right? When I first called out the mental health uh, paradox of, of, of business, uh, sports world and, and corporations and the medical field, we should have been doing it 10 years before that. So we're already past uh, uh, overdue to do this. Um, so, you know, I think that's, that has to be our, that has to be our new header. Our new heading has to be, okay, we're in the 12th hour. Who's ready? Let's go. <laughs> and I loved, so this great reset, you, you nailed it perfectly. And I loved all of that, by the way, just amazing. So I want to talk about how we actually get there. It, to me, it has to involve some, there's a spiritual awakening and a consciousness awakening. There has to be some new thing. And what you said about the great reset is what bothers me the most. They've said, listen, our dive into reductionist materialism has gotten us into a bunch of trouble. So we think we should go further down that route. Double hole. down. Yeah. Double down on that. It's a failed strategy, but we'll get it right this time because we have AI and we've got transhumanism. We got better microchips or whatever their story is. I think it's insane. And there's no, like, how do you not participate in their grand global agenda? They're, they're pretty serious about it. Like they want to take us all down this path, but it's got a binary outcome. It either works or it fails catastrophically. Right. Where's the, where, but where's the love? Where's the humanity? Where, where's the, the love oh, of no, all it, life? It, it, you know? There's well, no. Well, first, there's no part of it that works. There's no scenario where it works. That's the that's the whole scam to begin with. Klaus Schwab and all of these transhuman globalists—they know that it's not going to work. Because what does working mean? Working means that most of us don't make it. <laughs> so that's not working for us. That's working for the same people it's been working for is an elite scientific corporatocracy that that is that's values and morals are arbitrary and and it's uh, you know one shark you know uh, sh- killer be killed scenario right so it's not based on humanity or or compassion or or truth or justice or freedom or any of those things in the first place um but but even deeper than that is it's it's truly informed by evil and and a real a real um satanic uh spirit right mm-hmm. and and i really can see that and and you know i think a lot of the the religious world or a lot of the the um a, a lot of the faith world has a strong intuition towards it and and the prophecy and the archetypes of faith stories point us in that direction and, and highlight for whether you have a belief in faith or not and i think jordan peterson uh lays this out pretty well that the archetypes that mm-hmm. are pointed to in these stories are eerily on point, <laughs> uh, right? They're eerily accurate. And, and I think that we can see now that we're moving into this so-called fourth industrial revolution where people who walked us into a pandemic through their negligence, through their mm-hmm. scientific arrogance, are mm-hmm. now going to tell us that their science is going to lead us out and onward and upward. It's who, who would you have to be, you have to be a fool to believe it, or you'd have to be too busy trying to survive to fight it. So, and that's the, that's the trick bag they have us in is some people are too busy to try and fight it. Some people are fools that actually believe it, or they're too afraid to challenge it and would like to, you know, get whatever shekels they can off of riding the bandwagon or running behind it. And then there's the truthers on the other end who are completely like, Ah, there's no way I'm going for that. There's no way you can tell me 
that the, the rise of artificial intelligence, um, uh, more automated jobs, um, you know, uh, you know, whatever other uh, scientific uh, pipe dream they have is the way that we're going to move forward. And there's no talk about faith. There's no talk about spirituality. There's no talk about philosophy. There's no talk about values or morals. There's no talk about uh, freedom, right? It, it, there's no way you can tell any, there's no way you're going to tell a black man in America that that's the way forward. It's just, it's absolutely absurd in its premise completely. Well, let, let's, let's get to that absurdity. You held up a t-shirt recently. It says gain a function. Mm -hmm. I'm a big, I, I, my first full report I did on gain of function and the probability, which was very strong. I had over 90% probability that coronavirus, this SARS-CoV-2 came out of a lab that was in May 4th, 2020. Like the data was all there. It was just simple stuff. We're looking at the poly basic furin cleavage site insert. That's a lab trick. Doesn't exist in coronaviruses. Naturally, we're looking at a pangolin binding site, uh, backboned onto a a, a bat virus. This thing's supposed to come from a bat, but it can infect bats, but it can infect civets, ferrets, humans, humans more, more closely than any other thing. It was this mountain of data, right? And then we find out that Fauci's busy emailing his other virology friends right there back in late January of 2020 saying, hey, we got an emergency on our hands. And we have all of that as data. And people are still like, yeah, but we got to trust Fauci. Now, to me, those people are getting into Ted Bundy's VW Beetle a second time. Right. Yeah. It's like, how yeah. much more data do you need that this man was probably up to his proverbial eyeballs in causing this in the first place? And maybe we should have a conversation about that. What, what's your what are your thoughts on that whole line of thinking? Well, I, I think people are afraid. I think a lot of people are afraid, man. I think I think the existential position that we're in. Mm -hmm. Is that people and, and the reason why the, the the mental health crisis is is ha, has stemmed from a profound, deep uh, spiritual and and philosophical decay, right? And the angst that we are experiencing is because we know there are powers at work and there are things at play that we have failed to address, that he, we've turned a blind eye to, that we've participated in. That, that have the that now have the momentum to run roughshod over us mm. and and I think that our scientific community is one is one of those and I think that we all understand that we we all subconsciously internally understand that 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 the the scientific oligarchs of our society are in a position to run roughshod over us and tell us anything they want to without our ability to really counter it uh, or to even know the, the fundamentals of how it works and people like yourself who may actually know the, the fundamental, uh, the fundamentals of these issues will be silenced because we've also let censorship and, and those things run amok alongside it. Um, so I think that people's response is to go, how do I survive? Just tell me how to survive. Mm -hmm. Right. I tell people all the time. It's funny. I say, we live in such a fragile society um, that if the U.S. government came on TV today and said, you know, they, they put the emergency uh, code on and, and they said they came on and said, listen, we're sending troops to your home. We're evacuating everyone. We're going to take you to FEMA camps. This is a level this is a level five emergency. 
Uh, if you don't go, you probably won't survive the next 24 hours. 99% of people are going. Mm-hmm. That's the reality, right? We have no sovereignty. We have no autonomy. We have no agency left in our society. This, 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 we are watching the death of the citizen. Well, there are no more citizens. This, the, the idea of the citizen and any democratic power or any political, governmental, societal power that the individual citizen has is going away right before our very eyes. And so I think that that has a lot to do with why people are so desperate to believe Fauci. Now, you do have the people who are just politically aligned and they hate Donald Trump. And so they're willing to jump on the bandwagon for that reason. And if you're one of those people, then I can't even help you. I mean, you're just you're, mm-hmm. you're just out. You're out of this world. I, if you're if you're listening to Fauci because you're. Allegiant to the Democrats and you hate Donald Trump you're probably not going to make it anyway. I'll just tell you that now. You're you're just, you're on borrowed time. You're cannon fodder. I'm sorry. But if you're genuinely scared and you don't know where to turn because there's only one establishment and the corruption has become widespread, then I really have empathy and compassion for that position. Um, and and it, it's, it's more important than ever that people like you and Brett and Eric have your voices amplified, come together and figure out how to, how to amplify them even better bigger um mm-hmm. and get 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 sound information to people like that and and rebuild institutions of that have expert credibility um that that people can turn to in the face of somebody corrupt like a dr fauci because one thing's clear is our political our government um and and the the establishment are going to double down on on backing backing up people like fauci so yeah yeah, yeah, they will. Very well said. I think a cornerstone of all this for me has to be compassion. I've got eight sentences here from an article that rocked my world. I'll just share them with you because I think it frames a lot of this beautifully. I wish I could have written this well, but this comes from a psychiatrist. He's in New Zealand and he says, our descent into the age of depression seems unstoppable. Three decades ago, the average age for the first onset of depression was 30. Today, it's 14. By contrast to many traditional cultures that lack depression entirely, or even a word for it, Western consumer culture is certainly depression-prone. But depression is so much a part of our vocabulary that the word itself has come to describe mental states that should be understood differently. In fact, when people with a diagnosis of depression are examined more closely, the majority do not fit that diagnosis. Rather than a depressive disorder, demoralization is a type of existential disorder associated with the breakdown of a person's cognitive map. It's an overarching psycho-spiritual crisis in which victims feel generally disoriented, unable to locate meaning, purpose, sources of need fulfillment. The world loses its credibility and former beliefs and convictions dissolve into doubt, uncertainty, loss of direction, frustration, anger, and bitterness. Yeah, that, that, that describes the mental health crisis in a nutshell. I would say that I would say that the majority of mental health conditions and mental health afflictions that we see in our modern society could be could be drawn back to that. And and that, you know, that that's why my intuition was to say that this mental health topic is not is not one that we should write off. It's not one we should skim over. It's not one that we should talk about whether or not NBA players are getting adequate mental health care. That's not the important piece. The important piece is that we're in an existential position that's only going to be recoverable if we acknowledge 
um, the role that the mental health is playing and, and the indicator that it is at the deeper existential level. Um, and, and yeah, that as soon as you, I mean, every single word of it is exactly, exactly, uh, on point. Um, but you know, to, to go back to your point about, about gain of function, it, <laughs> it's a, it's a clear sign of just that when we talk about gain of function, mm. people are willing to fall into the, the political hegemony of American politics on the issue when we see an apolitical corruption around gain of function research. They would much rather, you know, because when, when, when people get to that place and here's what that, here's what, what that explanation doesn't highlight, maybe it does later on, I don't know. But when people get to that place, the tendency is to gravitate towards chaos. They gravitate towards drama and, and senseless, mm-hmm. mindless, uh, circular, cyclical, uh, chaotic self-destruction. That's where the suicide, that's the, that's the trajectory of suicide, right? Mm-hmm. Is, is once you get to that place where you see all of these, you have all these misalignments, misfirings, then you sort of just, you, you, you would much rather latch on to this cycle of self-destruction. And, and that's the buy-in to gain a function right there is we would much rather buy in and say, well, I'll just take Trump's side or I'll take Biden's side or I'll go Democrat or conservative and I'll just ride this bandwagon all the way to wherever it's going. Mm-hmm. If it's straight into a vaccine that's dangerous, if it's straight into bad information about the transmission of the virus, if it's straight into wherever this train is going, I'll go there. Instead of pulling back to question and say, why the hell were we ever doing gain-of-function research to begin with? And mm-hmm. why is it that I've allowed the mainstream media to tell me that Donald Trump is to blame for this pandemic or, or his response to this pandemic is to blame for the deaths when Democratic Black President Barack Obama was the first one to stop gain-of-function research or put the stop on it, and it was restarted by Dr. Fauci without you know without clarity on whether it was legit a legitimate restart of the research like why am i unwilling to even go there i've fallen into the cycle of self-destruction that leads Mm -hmm. to my own demise and that's that's where the mental health piece is so profound is is you can see how it maps on to the way that we engage with our entire uh existence yeah, it was Jay Krishnamurti who said that it is no measure of health to be well adjusted to a profoundly sick society. And I think that, but you're, but these people are like, hey, I'm well adjusted. I'm on the bandwagon, wherever that's going, that's where I'm going. And the answer is, but that doesn't, that's not special. It doesn't make you well adjusted, right? To, like we have a sickness that I think we need to talk about. And so even the idea of mental health, you're still talking about the symptom at the tip of the spear, What's the wood on the shaft? Like, why is that happening, right? Why is it that we had indigenous cultures who didn't even have a word for depression? It didn't exist for them, right? How So so we've created that condition for ourselves. So there's a lot of things that lead to, to unhealth. And COVID exposed this to me massively was that I now know that our public health authorities, they don't care about my health. They don't care about your health. They don't care about public health. I, you know, in tracking this, I'm in touch with the world's best doctors, Stanford, the world's most published clinical care doctors, right? And they all have treatments. They had treatments that they had surfaced that were highly effective for COVID. Now that I've gone deeper, I find that we've had treatments for all kinds of other things that have been highly effective. And yeah. all of them got suppressed, right? Yeah. Yeah. 
and 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 that's the system we're in, right? Yeah. So I want to talk to the agency now, though, is what do you do about this? To me, the great awakening begins with something as simple as saying, I'm going to decide for myself to take vitamin D because the data <laughs> says it helps a ton. So I'm going to take that. Soon as you do that, you now just decouple yourself. You you take your power back. Like I can't control the great reset crowd, blah, 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 blah. But I can no longer, like Viktor Frankl, consent to let them have my power or yeah. my energy or yeah. my will or my hope or wherever I'm going. Right. Yeah. So I think that that's the great awakening that I think they in this I think that's what they're afraid of. I think they're afraid of the millions of us waking up and saying we're we're sick of this shit. Here's here's how I agree with you 100. Um, see, in it, the 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 caveat I place on it is my natural tendency is I'm a revolutionary, and I'm and I'm also 30, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so I'm I'm of the spirit of marching to the front door of the Federal Reserve. <laughs> uh, so when we talk about the Great Reset and the Party of Davos crowd, I'm more like. Uh, oh, I can do something about them, <laughs> uh, you know, but, but for another day, for another, for another day. Um, it's funny that you mentioned vitamin D though, because I, I take a supplement called uh, CLA carnitine and it's made by P BPI sports. And um, it, it, it's, it's a carnitine and a CLA, uh, you know, transport, but it also, it uses vitamin D as a, as a buffer and a lot of it, right? Like there's 10,000 units of vitamin D in each scoop. And, I, mm -hmm. and you take it twice a day. Now, I don't know how much vitamin D is actually in each scoop, right? That's obviously something that we could question. Um, but it's funny that when I was first diagnosed with anxiety, a woman who I credit with saving my life, because at 16, I was having panic attacks so bad that I don't know if I would have made it if I didn't get some some help. I was just so mm -hmm. tired. I was disassociated. I was frustrated. Sure. It's just in crisis, you know, at 16, didn't know if I was dying or not, you know, those type of things push people mm -hmm. to do very unhealthy, um, a very unhealthy coping mechanism. So um, the first doctor who diagnosed me, her name was Mary Wilkins uh, at Hopkins High School, was where I went to high school here in Minnesota. She gave me a bottle of vitamin D on my first, on the first day, right? <laughs> and it just so happens, here's, here's how scary the universe can be. It just so happens that we're talking about mental health being one of the linchpins of, of the, the existential position of society. And then you have a pandemic that go, comes along and highlights corruption, but it also highlights our existential position in terms of our mental health. And it just so happens that vitamin D ends up being the mood regulator as well as the most efficient protectorate against COVID. And mm -hmm. I mean, you just, you, there's, there's no better form of irony than that. I mean, it's just, it's incredible, you know? So I've been doing vitamin D um, and I recently, you know, this past Tuesday, I was, uh, I tested positive for COVID um, during the big three, you know, I'm, I'm positive right now. I'm, I'm on quarantine isolation, um, which is why my voice is a little scratchy and things like that. But um, yeah, I've been doing vitamin D every day since the pandemic started. Um, and for the most part, and um, doing it now, and and all the studies do look look up on vitamin D, but it, it it begs the question of why has the importance of vitamin D been suppressed so much in in the most general sense? And so the pandemic actually, when when they talk about the inequality, see, here's what I hate as a black man: I hate when they use race in the 
the inequities or, or the disproportion of how the pandemic is affected people or who it's affected as a way to highlight a political position or a political animus. And instead going, it re revealing uh, or allowing it to reveal the initial or the, the, the beginning of where the inequality actually has evidence. And, and the evidence is that the establishment has hidden viable, healthy measures of, of everyday living from the, the masses for a long time <laughs> has mm -hmm. nothing to do with the pandemic or gainer function. That's just on top of, right? That's just an add on. That's just made it worse. But, but we were already living in a situation where things like vitamin D were, were totally, um, you know, unpromoted. Mm -hmm. Right. And you look at a place like ESPN or, you know, and I'm, I'm a sportsman. Right. So the sports world and the sports domain is, is something that I interact with often. And I hear people like Stephen A go on primetime television and try and demonize athletes for, let's say, getting caught smoking marijuana. Right. Mm -hmm. And and saying how this guy's a degenerate or this guy's an idiot or he's an asshole because, you know, he's letting his team down or he made a commitment or he agreed to the rules and now he's breaking them and so on and so forth. And then they cut the break and they're doing five hour energy uh, bits <laughs> or Budweiser or or whatever the case may be. And I'm just sitting yes. here going, what 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 has happened? But it's just what we've been talking about. But those examples, I think, help, you know, help add vivid color to, to the, the hypocrisy. Is like, you guys are telling some 21-year-old football player who's dealing with chronic pain. I remember Josh Gordon, the wide receiver from the Patriots. I think he was smoking or he was using drugs or whatever the case may be. You're telling football players, 21 years old, who are dealing with chronic pain from a lifetime of a sport that, that physically now we know damages the brain. That they should that, that they should be demonized for trying to go and find suitable coping mechanisms um, in a in a culture in a field in an industry that hasn't that hasn't put an emphasis on mental health, and you're going to demonize them and scorn them in the public square, and then you're going to cut the commercial and promote five hour energy, like there isn't a caffeine epidemic in this country and around mm -hmm. the world. You guys are sick. You're sick. You disgust me. And then when I say they disgust me, then people go, oh, Royce is radical. It's like, hey, <laughs> all right, guys, whatever you say. <laughs> uh, well, the, the good news for all of this then is is in COVID was um, learning that the system really doesn't have our best interests. So then you, you have to take it on yourself. And when you find out, you can't like, like, let me not cast aspersions on the whole lot of them. I'd say 80% of the doctors just turn the crank, but 20% of them are good folks and they care and they learn and they understand the word practice means practice and they get better at what they do and they have open minds, right? Those people have astonished me how fast they unlocked the, the puzzle of COVID and, you know, like Pierre Corey and his crew figuring out that, you know, corticosteroids were, were important back in March. They were ridiculed, right? Turns out it was true. Like all the, you can... What's amazing is how much we can actually take our health agency back into our own lives. Yep. And now I have this huge story, particularly around how it relates to schizophrenia, anxiety, and niacin. Mm. Niacin is this amazing substance that, again, when you look into it, we had this early signal. It was very promising. The medical industry said, oh, we'll study it. And they came up with a trial. And they only put 16 people in each arm and they said, oh, we're really sad to report that no statistically significant result was found. <laughs> 
which yeah. you can't no, with six people. No statistical significant data was taken. <laughs> <laughs> so that's actually a clue now to look into that more deeply. There was probably something yeah. interesting, right? But I see this over and over and over again. And so the good news is I, I think this great awakening on our side of the story is about people realizing that we have we get to choose, you know? We get to choose whether we're going to participate in that system or, or make our own our own minds up and, and our follow our own hearts. But for now, Chris, for, for now, now we get to choose. You know, know, and that's the that's that's the that's the great boogeyman that's at the door now. And I think it, it's right to acknowledge that our right to choose is 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 increasingly in danger. And and people should people should choose where they can choose while they can choose because. Uh, the 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 more we become, um, what do I want to say? The more we become numb or or unfamiliar with choosing, the easier it'll be for the system to take choosing away, right? Mm-hmm. Like you're saying, if you don't exercise that choice, like if you don't use it, then you you lose it, right? So if we don't exercise that choice consciously, uh, uh, you know, aware uh, aware that we're actually making a different choice or a divergent choice. It's going to be that much easier for the system to come and, and snatch it away from us. And I think a lot of people are already there. I think a lot of people have gone along to get along so for, for so long that they don't see that the system is is actually infringing on their right to choose in many ways. And and I, I do see that. I mean, this 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 vaccine mandate passport thing is an abomination of civil liberty in fact infraction. And, and the amount of Democrats who have come forward, like what they did in New York City and, and the mm-hmm. fact that the mainstream media has has shrined Mayor de Blasio and 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 like I'm I'm it's hard for me to even watch. It's hard for I mean, it's not really hard for me to make sense of. I understand what's going on. It's just hard for me to accept the level of apathy towards it. And and just the um, the amount of blatant corrupt promotion of it, I'm just like, wait a minute, you you have to get a vaccine and you have to show proof of it to go to the public library, mm-hmm. to the gym, okay, to the restaurant, okay, and then so, okay, help me understand when are when, okay, so when's the plan for us to stop that? Be and it's that that's that's what you have to ask. And see, most people aren't asking that. They're going, they're just assuming that this is a response to the pandemic and, you know, we're doing this until everybody gets vaccinated. But then you're hearing the same mainstream tell you that every vaccine is going to need a booster in order to account for the variant. Okay. And then they're going to tell you also that the vaccine doesn't stop you from getting the virus or passing it. You know what I call it? That's called a racket. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yep and as much as as much as uh your boy rudy giuliani is 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 a, <laughs> a sharp funny you know quick guy he made his living he made his living on going after the mob i just as a total side note and tangent just just show you how funny and and incoherent these these lines of thought can be i always thought it was funny that rudy giuliani and those guys went out publicly and called Cohen and all those people rats. They were like, this guy's a rat. This guy's a rat. It's like, dude, you made your entire identity and bones on using rats to go after the American mob. It's not proper for you to say the word rat. 
<laughs> in the public square, right? Uh, yep. But you know, as a total side note, but 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 those type of yeah, those those type of people are completely willing to indulge in rackets right in front of us. And it's it's really an insult to the American people. It's an insult to free people everywhere for mm-hmm. the establishment and the elites within an establishment or the higher ups within an establishment to not only be corrupt, but to say we have so much power and we have so much confidence and lack of confidence in your courage and your fortitude and your ability to see our moves that we'll admit it right in front of you. That is where the spirit of revolution should be catalyzed right along that line. When the establishment not only is corrupt, but then they mock you in their corruption, that should incite revolution. And I think that's part of what did incite, uh, uh, you know, Times Revolution with George Floyd. I think that the racial animus is standing in the way between us and the real revolution that needs to happen in America and around the world against elites, not, not between black and white. Speaking of mocking you with their abuse, I got to hear your views on the Federal Reserve. Um, <laughs> <laughs> These guys, man, where do they where do they get off? Where do they get off? Yeah, so here's, it, abuse. I'll, here's I'll, abuse. I'll put it. I'll put it this simple. Okay, it's it, it's 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 just real simple to me, and and we could go into the the greater details of of the the economic instruments that the Federal Reserve use has used and continues to use in order to create. Uh, economic tyranny, uh, uh, mm-hmm. an environment of economic tyranny here in America and around the world. But I mean, let's just go a step further. We're talking about central banks. Okay. Our central banks, the Federal Reserve, sold our debt to China. And, and in the wake of selling our debt to China, they, they, super, they super loaded or they, they backed, they, they used, you know, um, Capsule liquidity, right? They, they use quantitative easing to incentivize Wall Street to sell sell us out to China a second time. So we sold our national debt to China, and then we went in and we propped up uh, a bunch of finance, uh, you know, the financial industry and Wall Street to sell us out a second time. And then everybody's looking around, going. Well, why is the mainstream media not talking about the Uyghurs or, or why are we allowing China to run roughshod over us mm-hmm. all over the world? Well, they own us and, and they don't even own us metaphorically. They own us in the literal sense, financially, economically. Uh, and that seems pretty clear now. You know, obviously, you know, all of these systems of finance and currency are backed by um, the strong arm, right? The, the military, uh, a, a country's military. And, and, and our military is still strong. And, and that's why the, the, the chickens haven't come home to roost just yet. Um, but there's no, there's no real sign that, that we'll need to because at the time when China rises into the position that they're now rising into, it doesn't seem that America will, will still have the values or the, the spirit to need to fight or to want to fight the war that will need to be fought and should rightfully be fought about freedom and justice, right? Mm-hmm. Freedom of speech, freedom of faith. These are proper, proper mo- modes of war, right? These are, you know, I think we've, pre- we've created a two, two-pronged society where we say, well, there's no war. We would love it for war to go away. Yeah, we would, if there are no tyrants. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you, you can't just have peace and tyranny. That, those don't go together. 
uh, or at least they shouldn't. But mm-hmm. we have a liberal left. We have a liberal left culture that's on the rise that promotes peace. They think peace is going to come through transhumanism and all these things. They want to sell us to China. And then they'll have the excuse that we shouldn't go to war with China because we don't want conflict. But really, they just want to concede to tyranny because the tyranny helps further their agenda. Right. They would love for China. They, and here's why t- my my gripe with China is a, is about the Uyghurs, no doubt. OK. And it's about our elites, the Federal Reserve and Wall Street and our political in D.C. selling us and Hollywood selling us out to China. But it's deeper than that. China is where America is headed. People need to understand that. The social credit score system is the vaccine passport system. So that's we're headed towards a Jing Jinping China. Now, the, the question is, if we arrive so early, is Xi Jinping going to be the leader of America, too? Right. Or will it be some some American leader that 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 is the, the tyrant at the head of the snake? But mm-hmm. but it's it's fruit from the same poisonous tree. And and the only people who are standing against it have all of the 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 prerequisites to be looked at as crazy or as extreme. Right. Like you got the conservative right wing. It, it's easy to paint Donald Trump as a racist. He's a 75 year old white man who inherited money. He's a, a, a real estate mogul from Manhattan. He's blonde hair. I mean, it's easy to paint him as a racist. It's easy to paint people in the Bible Belt as radical racists. And some of them are. There's no doubt about that. There's no doubt there's a racial animus. But what does it say about the rest of us that they're the only ones willing to fight against tyranny? That's what interests me. They're not the only ones. I'm sorry, I shouldn't say that. But that they're a significant, that they have significant value in this fight. What does it say about the liberals that they are the ones who are willing to go the furthest or the loudest against this, this momentum of tyranny. So as a black man, I look at that and I say, oh, I got to step in the fight. I can't let the, the, right, the radical right wing conservative three percenter be the only one uh, denouncing the treatment of Uyghurs in East Turkestan. <laughs> Just to keep this thing coherent and honest, I have to go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so. So this descent into authoritarianism, it seems pretty profound to me, right? And I'm, I'm, you know, puzzled, not puzzled, but to me, it's, it's evidence that say the mainstream media doesn't pick up the fact that Hunter Biden, who is basically, come on, can we just call it what it is? The guy was, you know, a, a crack smoking ne'er do well, and China said, oh, here's a billion and a half state dollars. You should manage them as our, as our fund yeah. manager. Like, yeah. how can you not see that for what it is? That's, that's just buying influence. Right. And then everything that's happened since I have very hard time differentiating between the articles and the policies that are coming out of my country right now and what the CCP would want. Maybe it's just coincidental, but I don't believe in coincidences. Well, one, I'll give you one coincidence. I won't give you 10. Right. (laughs) So so that's where I see things going right now. So I think we ought to have a full throated conversation about authoritarianism. Is that really where we want to go and why? Because I can't find any historical um, records that say that's an awesome journey to go on? Not one. Well, I, I, I do. Again, I think in, in the existential position, when you've neglected all of the markers, all of the red flags, you haven't done the necessary work along the way to dig your heels in and, and, and push back when, it, when the time came. Once you get too far over the line, the only reasonable, the only reasonable recourse to many people is to just dive in and have mm-hmm. fun with it, right? 
that's kind of the, the, the delineation to debauchery that you see in post-apocalyptic stories is that the majority of people are so ripe with sin. They're so full of sin themselves uh, along. They have no values and no morals to anchor themselves to. Mm-hmm. They have nothing to fight for. And which is why the rise of, I, I tell people that the treatment of the Uyghurs is not only a, 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 a blind eye turn away of economic interests. It's the rise of atheism too. <laughs> mm-hmm. Make no mistake about it that the whether you're atheist or not, the rise of atheism, the promotion of atheism, the the adoption of of, of an atheist mentality, and all of the debauchery that is ape that that is that comes along with it. Not that is is part and parcel of it, but it, it tends to come along with it. Radical drug use, uh, zero sexual impropriety, um, you know, uh, radical food, this this weird food. I'll give you an example. There's an entire culture of vegan cocaine addicts <laughs> in, in the millennial class, in the, in the millennial generation. People who are saying they're vegan in their Instagram bios or Twitter bios or whatever I'm it is. I'm that healthy. <laughs> they're doing cocaine. <laughs> no, and I'm not yeah. saying it. <laughs> it, it's it, it, it's not that that's not a you know that's not just something it's not i, I know i know these people like mm-hmm. i actually know them <laughs> it's like <laughs> you're not you're not vegan you're a cokehead right. hunter biden would probably be one of those people and that's what i'm saying is like you can see the the archetype but my point is that they have nothing to anchor themselves to Right. So they just they just kind of go over the cliff like lemmings. They just kind of dive into debauchery. And the 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 problem with that is the 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 main issue with with that is when it comes time to fight, why would you fight? Well you, you have no you have no God, you have no morals, you have and this is why the the walk the the the, the subscription to faith in God and, and, and um, beliefs and values, like Jordan Peterson says, and I think he lays it out great, is it's not just about the details of the story. It's not about the details of the metaphysical. It's not about the details of, of whatever the, the, this supreme being is and their designs and, and the way that they move about the universe. It's not only about that. It's about an individual constitution. And some of these people have, many of these people have no more individual constitution. And in the absence of one, they are susceptible to authoritarianism. They crave it. They crave tyranny. They want it for themselves, but in in their lack of being able to to manifest the tyranny for themselves because they're too weak to, to become real tyrants, right? They're too weak to really run roughshod over the people around them. They're too too passive, you know, to, to do that. They'll just ride a tyrannical bandwagon. And, and that's the Me Too movement. That's the LGBTQ plus movement. That's that's uh, many uh, tiers of the Black Lives Matter movement. That's the conservative right wing movement. A lot of these movements, people have jumped on to a tyrannical bandwagon and they're willing to ride it right over a cliff. And it's it's a scary thing because we we like the idea that revolutions will come from places of movements like those. But those are all the those are the false movements right now. Now, will I say that the, the the history of black people in America has genuine revolutionary 
um, potential? Mm-hmm. Of course. That's why the FBI said it does. You haven't heard you haven't heard the FBI go after any LGBTQ messiahs or any or any uh, feminist messiahs because that it, that it ain't real. <laughs> I'm just going to go out and say it. that ain't real. Mm-hmm. The black messiah was a real FBI threat. And, and the reason why is because black people in America understand the depth and scope of corruption on both a spiritual and political level. And so black men who are competent, who are intellectually competent, pose the greatest threat to uh, destabilizing the status quo. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and that's people like me, to, to put it bluntly. It's not people like Colin Kaepernick. And actually, the liberal the liberal media benefits. And I love Colin Kaepernick and I agree with his protest on many levels. I think what he meant to say, and this is also something I put in my Simone Biles piece, what he meant to say was that the military industrial complex in this country has undermined the sacrifice of our troops, has undermined the service that they've given and the NFL promoting it as a as a commercial endeavor like it does actually undermines not only their moral position, but the black men who who service the 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 athletic component of this industry. Right. And I think he was right to say that. I think he had trouble articulating that and the media then turned and used it to position him against a Bible belt of football fans that have a racial animus. And that's how manipulative manipulative they are. That's how chameleonic they are. That's how sneaky they are. They deal in communication. This is why they've suppressed the work of Noam Chomsky because he cut straight to the core. He said, Mm -hmm. this is how the mass media uses uh, uh, manipulation and coercion to manufacture consent and de- divide people. Now, the reason why a Colin Kaepernick was propped up the way he was is because he can't articulate the issues full circle. And they benefit from him not being able to articulate the issues full circle. That's not a knock on him. That's to let him know and to let other people know to watch for idols who get Un, unwarrantedly propped up by the establishment and by the legacy media when you can tell quite visibly that they don't carry the intellectual capacity to actually challenge the status quo on a fundamental level. And that's why I, who came two, three years before Colin Kaepernick on an issue that was broader than race and police brutality, like mental health, which included race and police brutality, was mm-hmm. was snuffed out as uh, this, oh, weird, you know, they still say, Oh, Royce, is that, that was just a weird one. <laughs> that was just a weird situation. That that mm-hmm. kid was, he's the most interesting guy not in the NBA. It's just weird, though. No, it's not weird. Everything yeah. I was going to say was going was gonna to point to their culpability. What Colin Kaepernick did propped up them as being the, 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 the microphone to the voiceless. The mainstream media isn't the microphone to the voice. Don Lemon doesn't care about uh, black men being shot and killed in the street. Mm-hmm. Not in any, vi- did he, did he hit the front lines? He's married to a white man. <laughs> I mean, what are we talking about? And then you can't even say that, right? You say that and it's like, you're homophobic. It's like, no, uh, you, you didn't hit the front lines. Number one, I was on the front lines for seven months straight. So my commitment won't be questioned and you married a white man. So those two things are in question in my opinion. And I have a right to ask that question is where's the legitimacy of your allegiance 
to the fight for Black America and Black men in our circumstance in the shadow of this establishment that you work for, that you want to be liked by. So, you know, that it's not by accident. That's that's that was my point is the 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 role of the media and the information is not by accident by any means. It's per, it's actually the most strategic and most well-working portion of this entire scam. Well, the scam is about perpetuating the status quo, right? So I, I get that. I think that's probably an okay position for most of history, but we're coming up on a really weird time in human history, right? Too many people, too few resources. China, I talk to people, high-level people from China, they are razor-focused on this next arc of time, right? They're thinking 20, 30, 40 years ahead. They know there's not enough resources for the people, so they're all over the world with their magic checkbook buying African oil, buying you know land in Madagascar, getting you know whatever they need to do because they get it and they're they're on it. Over here, it's like like people are we're, we're worried about um, whether transgender males ought to participate in female sports. We're worried about um, yeah. no, no, pro- no, no. I'm they should. But we're, we're worried about all kinds of things that when I look at it, I, I see China's laser focus on the future. And we're over here just sort of like nasal gazing, as, navel gazing as far as I can, right? We're just, we're focused on stuff that is distractive, divisive, a lot of energy gets spent on it. But when you lift your head up, nothing new was built. No new understandings were gained. No new bridges were formed, you know, between yeah. people. Uh, it's just, I, I look at all this and I say, it feels like we're we're on like stage five of Sun Tzu's art of war. We're tearing ourselves apart and we don't even know it. It's kind of how I feel right now. Does that make sense? Yeah, well, yeah, well, a hundred percent. Yeah, I think, I, I, well, I think the question is how much of it we don't know and how much of it we do know. Like I said, mm-hmm. I think the, the propensity of people is toward the, 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 the cycle of self-destruction and to just take that cart and ride it straight over into, because death is easier. Right. It's easier. It's easier to just lay there, take the corruption, adopt it, ride the ride, die and be done with it. than to actually take up responsibility, fight for something courageously against all odds and and try and triumph. Right. And and we've just, you know, we got participation medals and don't give my kid a participation medal. Mm -hmm. If he didn't, Mm -hmm. if he didn't win, he didn't win. And that's fine. You don't have to win every time you have to try. And if you want to, and if you want to win, you have to assess how you did make the adjustments. I benefited greatly from losing. When I used to lose a basketball game back, back when I was younger or any sport, if I look and I go, damn, that kid was, that kid kicked my ass. <laughs> that kid was a monster, you know? And, and there were kids that were just beasts at, at 15, 13, 10. They're like, this, you know, but as we grew and as we all got older and as we experienced that different level of competition, we made those adjustments. And once I got to a certain age and a certain level, it leveled out to the point where you look at your own game and you made certain adjustments and you learned certain things and you go, I feel comfortable on any court. And now on any basketball court, I don't care if it, LeBron James is on the court. I feel that I'm able to hold my own. I'm able to be on that court and be productive and, and have some success. And you still don't win every time. And there's only one NBA champion every season. So this whole idea of participation medals, it really undermines the idea of meritocracy, number one. But it just, it's it softened us. Yeah. It's, it's, it softened us. Like where people are just, you know, they, they don't 
they don't necessarily even want to win. They, like I said, they're willing to lose and they're willing to go out just, you know, whatever happens, just let it happen. You know, the, the worst, the worst phrase of our modern society is it is what it is. No, it is. It isn't what it is. It's exactly what you've allowed it to be. It's what you've mm. participated in it being. It's mm. what you haven't done. That's what it is. All things are what you haven't done. What you have done or what you haven't done. That author, uh, you, uh, I forget his name. The, the author quote I love is he says, uh, bad times create hard men. Hard men create good times. Good times create weak men. Weak men create bad times. Mm. Right? There's a soft, you feel that softness. Uh, and my question to you about that is how alone do you feel with, with the views that you hold? How many people can you share this level of con- context with? There's only a handful of people. You know, I, I, I've been fortunate in my life to, to come across a handful of people that, that I can have these conversations with, that I can reach out to and, and talk to, but it's, it's not widespread by, by any means. Um, I'm a dominant personality. So I'd say the people in my immediate life, um, you know, I, I lead the way, you know, in my immediate in my immediate environment. And, mm-hmm. and even, you know, when I go places, my personality isn't passive. So, you know, I lead the way when I am where I am. Um, but even, you know, you know, you notice it in your immediate family, even or with family members or longtime friends. And once these political issues start to surface, they become uh, you know, highly visible and, and opinions have to get, get crossed on these issues. You'll see people sort of just duck away from you or shy away from you. Um, but they, they, they won't really confront me, but, but, you know, you, you, you get a phone, few less phone calls and things like that. Um, it, it is what it is, you know, but here's, here's the thing that I think that I've learned. And I learned this at a young age with the NBA and the mental health issue is to say, and I was fortunate that the mental health issue came full circle in such a short time because mm-hmm. many people go against an issue and they face decades and decades or generations of, of doubt and uncertainty about whether or not they were right, <laughs> right? Because the public consensus is just so against them. I was fortunate in that when I said the mental health is, is an epidemic in the NBA, but the greater society, um, it came around full circle and within like five or six years where then everybody was saying that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that gave me a lot of uh, reassurance and, and confidence that it's okay to walk alone. As a matter of fact, th- that's, that's the archetype of heroism mm-hmm. in any story, you know, and, and we, we accept that and we love that and all of our cinematic adventures and all of our great novels and, and all of our, uh, you know, uh, all of our icons that we prop up in society, but we have trouble adopting it individually. Um, you know, we we have this mass thing. This, you know, it, it, part of it can be blamed on the idea of democracy. Let's say, right? Because democracy is, by all intents and purposes, uh, a, a mechanism of consensus, right? And a, a mass consensus. So, you know, we gravitate towards consensus. We want people to agree with us. We want people to like us. We want people to to be on the same side as we are. We feel security in that. And there is some real security in that, which makes it a real conundrum. It's like you're always a little bit more secure in a pack than you are by yourself if you're going against another group of people, Mm -hmm. unless your entire group of people is running off a cliff, then it's pretty dangerous. 
or unless you drop and you fall underneath a herd of people that you're around and they trample you. Mm -hmm. So there's all these different things that could play out for me personally. If I have to to go, if I have to meet my demise, then I'm going to just go with truth. That's that's where I want to be standing in a circle of of truth. I want to be aligned with truth. I want truth to be um, the, the highest order. Of, of where I'm aligned. And, and if that has to be alone and afraid, scared, and, you know, uh, facing a, a, a horde of a, a thousand, a thousand, then, then great. I invite that. I'd rather, I'd rather be, I'd rather, because here, here's, here's what I do believe is that this is only one part of our existence, that there is an eternity that we face. Okay. And in that eternity, I believe that my conscience will still be there. Right. And, and the, and I say this to my letter to LeBron that my fear of isolation and rejection pales in comparison to my fear of the roar in my conscience becoming permanent from living like a chameleon. Right. So we say that I'll live another hundred lives. If I get to live one more life, if I get an, another, another brief moment of consciousness after I pass on, and, and, and in that moment of consciousness, the roar of me being dishonest from being a chameleon is what I have to listen to. I'd rather die alone. <laughs> I just that 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 to me seems unbearable. Yeah, very well said. Very well said. Um, so what's uh, in closing, what's up for you? I hear you're you're training for the MMA ring and um, yeah. give given that a, a look see. And well, I'm I'm. I've been training now for two years uh, to make my transition into MMA pro. Um, my first fight was my debut fight was scheduled to be June 26 here recently. And uh, my opponent pulled out. He had staph infection, wasn't able to get a full training camp in, um, you know, the heavyweight, the heavyweight division in, in mixed martial arts is just a very thin division. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm a very notable name uh, mm-hmm. to be starting out in the regional ranks or, or, you know, local ranks and things like that. So, you know, we're, we're trying to navigate the problems we may run into with me uh, getting some early fights. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it may be that we have to get creative. It may be that we go straight to one of the big leagues, um, which is almost a little, always a little more risky because obviously the the level of competition is, is higher, which I invite, but, but this is a business and it's a sports and entertainment business. So we're taking our time with the MMA thing. People got to understand I'm, I'm 30 years old, but since I was 18, I've played three full seasons of basketball, one at Iowa state and two in Canada. And I've never had an orthopedic injury in my entire life. Um, you know, uh, thank God. So, uh, I'm, I'm young miles wise and, and heavyweights usually don't even hit their prime until they're 33. 34. So, you know, I'm, I'm in a good position. I want to take my time and make sure I do it right. Um, the MMA stage provides me a different type of platform as an athlete where you can say a little more, do a little more, um, not be caught with the, the, the stigma of being a distraction from your team, right? That's something that they use in, in team sports to kind of neuter uh, athletes is to say, you know, you don't, don't be too controversial because then you become a distraction from the other guys when, you know, if it's moral and right, then it shouldn't be a distraction. It should be a, <laughs> an indication. Right. But, but that's something that they're able to use. So I'm excited about that. Um, I just released my, my book, 
you know, my letter to LeBron James is entitled Epistle to the King, uh, self-published through Amazon, self-publishing platform. Um, we'll see how long it stays up there. I'm, I'm sure with the, the wave of censorship that's coming, some mm-hmm. of the things that I say in there are, uh, have the book in danger of being uh, taken, taken down. Um, but, but it's there for now. So, you know, that was, that was, uh, that was a big, a big deal. It was 260 page book, you know, 30, 40,000 words. So it took me a while to do it. And yeah, I mean, in September, on September 11th, I planned to start my walk, uh, from George Floyd Memorial to, to the white house. Um, and, and, uh, we're going to be making a big announcement ahead of that walk. And and that walk is going to be launching, something that I think is going to be significant and powerful. And, uh, you know, we'll go from there after that's done. We'll, we'll see what else is is in store for the year, but, uh, that walk's going to be a big, a a big deal on me physically, you know, 27 day, 27 day walk. So, um, we'll, we'll see what, we'll see what happens after that. All the way from Minneapolis to DC. To 1600 Pennsylvania. Let's go. Let's go talk to president Biden. (laughs) <laughs> so yeah, I think but, that's right. what you're talking about. You found this inner fortitude. You, you've carved your own way. You, you clearly are are uh, capable of standing up and, and making your, ad, you know, advocating for yourself and then for others in the process. So I really commend you for that. You've, and you've been doing it so generous with your time and from, from, uh, from quarantine even. So yeah. Royce White, thank you so much for who you are in the world and for your time today. Thank you, Chris. Appreciate it, man. 